0: Bonjour, welcome to Map to the Stars, the podcast that never steps on a crack because it will surely break your mother's bound back.
1: <laughs> did you she, did she plan that?
0: <laughs> Between me getting water and now.
1: That's really good. Ah, Way to kick it off. You know off. what's
0: better than the joke?
1: My long sigh.
0: Telling everyone how you got the joke.
1: I know, I when always did you do come that. Up with I'm so sorry. Because uh, I that? just wonder, like, because we exist in the same space. I'm like, when did you write that?
0: We are, this is have recorded, like recorded in mono. <laughs> this is recorded mono, but of course, we are only one person. Wait, that didn't work. <laughs> well, <laughs> you that's the that. thing. when it doesn't gestate, when I don't grab water, let me grab a water, I'll come back and do that. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Hi, hello. Welcome to the podcast. welcome. That looks to the stars abroad in Hollywood and above in the night sky. Yeah. My name's Jeremy.
1: I'm Michelle.
0: And we are Filmy Chartographers. We bundle up a buy one, get one deal for the astrology and the film. Mm -hmm. And um, on this episode, we have a very special guest. Ourselves. Oh,
1: (laughs) yeah. I was gonna say, we don't have any celebrities (laughs) in here.
0: Um, We're
1: recording this in our bedroom. (laughs) I just listened to so
0: many podcasts that they say I have a very special guest. I've always wanted to say it, you know?
1: We'll have the guest when more people listen.
0: Hey, baby, we are recording again. (laughs) What you just heard was me spilling all of my water on all of our equipment. Uh, So the water that got me the joke. Bit me in the ass. And the can I all say, right?
1: when Jeremy spilt the water, and he's never done that before, he just stared at it. Like, he had just seen, like, the most shocking thing in his life, and he could not move. Well,
0: fitting that we are looking at a uh, at a movie called The Squid and the Whale. I thought I could get a little wet on this one. All right? <laughs> Soaking like the our, all of our
1: equipment.
0: So we're going to do something unheard of on this podcast. We're going to listen back to ourselves, do a little bit of commentary just for a bit. I'm going to punch it in. And we're to it and laugh and have a good time. <laughs> so just a sec. This is Michelle's idea, by the way. I don't know why she's so silent right now about it.
1: I was just waiting for the clink.
0: Oh, hold on. Oh,
1: ourselves. Who's, oh, yeah. I was going to say, we ourselves don't have any celebrities again. in here. Um, we're recording this in our bedroom. So the special podcasts guest podcasts thing, that thought I that was pretty good. I've always wanted to see. A, and
0: we were doing yeah. pretty well. Here comes. We'll
1: have the guest. Here comes. When more people listen. Oh, big clink. Just <laughs> and that's when jeremy stares at all the water pooling on the table i'm hold running on, hold to the on. closet to this. you're good
0: you're, good. You're, good. you're <laughs> good you're consoling me
1: i thought you were really upset no I was throwing good. cloths at you just
0: like just okay. like <laughs> it's okay you sound so concerned it's like i got wet
1: <laughs> i should also mention you got my laptop wet And I was uh, a little nervous about that. I
0: I just, yeah, I definitely, yeah, okay, I stared. For the listener at home, I didn't do shit. He
1: didn't stand up.
0: (laughs) I think we're just back to silence now. I'm going to pause that recording.
1: But anyway, what a time it's been, this first 10 minutes of recording.
0: For the listener at home, when you do a podcast, don't put your water in front of you, (laughs) in front of. So it's off to the side now where no one can get hurt. Uh, you're laughing. I'm going to, I'm going to do what I did before. Same motion, everybody. It's a little bit less.
1: Oh, there we go.
0: Insane, everybody. Uh
1: oh, but I'm glad to be back. Uh, as Jeremy mentioned, before chaos ensued, we have no special guest, but maybe one day. <laughs> the special guest was the water. <laughs> it, it was a surprise in appearance. There.
0: Um, I think we've had enough shenanigans. We just want to record this freaking episode at I this know. point. So... Noah Baumbach, we're taking him up. Heck yeah. Maybe um, someone that we both have a, a knowing familiarity with. We've seen a movie in theaters of his, um, and you've seen more movies of his than me. And so it's nice to sort of differentiate. Someone like Malik, someone like Jeff Nichols, I was bringing him to the table. Someone like Bob Fosse, you were bringing him to the table. Ooh, so, So Baumbach is somewhere in the middle. Um, you know, we have a nice history with his films and we've already taken up Francis Haas so the podcast itself actually has uh and of course written co-written uh with Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach Taken up his partner we already did the Barry Jenkins Lulu long it. thing sort of. um so uh we're sort of completing the the piece as it were with Baumbach um now on this episode also I read that they had a kid I didn't know they had a kid
1: we, oh Greta yeah I didn't know that either. They had a kid in 2019 oh, or something. That's precious and adorable. Precious. precious. And I think they're a power couple.
0: They know they're a power couple.
1: They know. I know. They belong together. But I'm really excited to talk about Noah Bomback. We, are, um, dry. Home, 5, we are dry.
0: For the listener at home, I'm going to say that 5,000 times. We are dry. For the listener at home, imagine they're commuting. I sound like a dolt now. <laughs> we are all dry. No one's wet. I think we're all good. And uh, why don't we get into a bio?
1: One thing I want to know, and I think this is aside from the astrology and uh, me just rambling before I get on script. In interviews, Noah Baumbach has stated that he's... Baumbach. Bound bound back.
0: Word We just learned, yeah.
1: Anyway, so we're uh, getting used to it. Um, but he's been incredibly adamant that his movies are not autobiographical. Uh, and if you know a little bit about him, you might find that surprising. But what word does he use? What word does he use?
0: He's like, there's a difference. I do believe there's a difference.
1: Movie is not autobiographical, it's personal. That's it. And there's a true distinction in that. Um, so I it. think that's really interesting, and it kind of, you know, leads you to watch his movies in a different way, where you're like, this is not about him. It's He's just, like, pulling on what's familiar, and that's what makes it personal.
0: Yeah, a, a child of divorce in New York in the 80s. In New York, which in the 80s. what the Squid and the, the Whale is. Um,
1: Lots of ties to his family in well, there as well.
0: Yeah, and so... <clears throat> I know we don't really get into it in the script necessarily, but...
1: Oh, wait. Can you stop for a sec? Yeah. Okay. So we're talking about two movies that are on Netflix. So we're going for, I think, his most critically acclaimed. We're talking about The Squid and the Whale and Marriage Story. I don't think we mentioned that before. So. Yeah. So there you go. This is the first time I think we're going for um, the big bucks. We're going for (laughs) the easy, (laughs) the low-hanging fruit. Uh, as in it, Marriage Story? Ah, who hasn't seen it? The,
0: the easily accessible hanging fruit.
1: That Yeah. Okay. What I should have said. But uh, the potato I feel to like pick we don't- You don't even <laughs> got to
0: go grab it. It's on the ground right there for you.
1: I feel like we don't um, introduce the films we talk about well enough. So we're talking about The Squid and the Whale and Marriage Story. And you have said that Marriage Story seems like a more refined, but like kind of continuation of the themes of Squid and the Whale. So very similar thematically. Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, he wasn't divorced. To Jennifer Jason Lee uh, at the time of making The Squid and the Whale. Um, it's about his childhood. It's about a lot of people's childhoods. Yeah, New York Yeah, I threw York you itself. off,
1: let's, let's go back to what you were New York. There you go. We were it. getting anyway, there.
0: And then Marriage Story, yeah, is definitely of a piece. It's the two main divorce movies, though there's elements of that everywhere. Merowitz Stories has, um, you know, his dad is prevalent through all of it. There's The Lawyer and Marriage Story. Been married four times and I read that. Jonathan Baumbach, Noah's. Father. Father. Papa. Uh, married. Give me more.
1: Daddy. Dada.
0: <laughs> Baja. Gives him, uh, has, has had four marriages. Um, during Marowit stories, Noah uh, Baumbach was, Jesus, Baumbach was saying that he was spending a lot of time in and out of hospitals and, um, you know, found material in that and, and used that for influence in there. And sadly, his uh, father did pass away in 2019. So that and then that really informs and contextualizes a lot of Merowitz stories and Dustin yeah, Hoffman's for character sure. uh, and the brother, because there's the two brothers and then there's the brothers in the Squid and the Whale. And you know, that's that's where something where, you know, Charlie, Adam Driver's character, has a family and past that we don't really get to learn about, which is not which is the the opposite of what bound bringing bring into his films a lot of the time. We learn so much of it. So um yeah, little details there just to really like kind of illustrate how much these are personal slash not maybe autobiographical. Jeff Daniels read an article that Jeff Daniels is wearing one of his father's sports coats during the movie too. Like just a, really? an actual, I guess you want to say prop. So he's really bringing in those elements.
1: Uh, I love that. Which,
0: spoiler alert, we're talking about my, my big thing is like material possessions and objects. Mm-hmm. So it's interesting to see that he's bringing in that part of it as sort of this symbol um, and a token of that time. You know, wearing his father's clothes and and bearing that and donning everything, all those qualities and everything. You know the um, the baggage,
1: uh, wearing the baggage, literally. In the, yeah, yeah, exactly.
0: So, um, yeah these these are the two divorce movies. One, you know, produced by Netflix, funded by Netflix, whatever Netflix film, Squid and the Whale, uh, available as of this time in Canada, Netflix Canada. So uh, easy to watch for once. We're not taking up uh, Badlands, which isn't anywhere to stream, et cetera, et cetera. No.
1: Also, uh, a brisk like hour twenty on Squid in the Whale.
0: Yeah, which you know, considering, let's make this a, a brisk forty. You know what I mean? Yeah. We let's, let's do half the time that you could be watching this, and we're talking about it. So, um, anyway, yeah, we 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 love his work. I think um, he's fantastic, and it's a um, it's very interesting to track his career. He finds success with The Squid and the Whale, but he hadn't really made a feature in many, many years since Kicking and Screaming, like a full feature in Mr. Jealousy's 97, 98 or something. So mm-hmm. it was almost seven, eight years until Squid and the Whale came out, um, though he finds work and is supported, really uh, buoyed by his friend, uh, Wes Anderson.
1: Big surprise there, uh, <laughs> but <laughs> not at all. A
0: lot of uh, qualities they share in their films mm-hmm. and, and their direction. Um, Bound back certainly a more humanist, maybe.
1: Yeah, filmmaker. a lot more grounded. Um, for sure.
0: And uh, yeah, they, they co write maybe the more grounded work from Wes Anderson, both Steve Zissou and uh, Fantastic Mr. Fox. Both um, great movies. Yeah, Love so.
1: Mr. Fox. It's adorable. The titular. <laughs> the titular. <laughs> I spill water again. Jesus. <laughs> Never do that. Um, all right. Shall we?
0: Yeah, yeah. You can go. Right.
1: Noah Baumbach Baumbach was born on September 3rd, 1969, my favorite year, uh, in Brooklyn, New York.
0: Strong date.
1: Strong date. Very strong date.
0: What happens in September of 1969 that's uh, important?
1: You can look it up as I'm talking. That'd be awesome. And then we can talk about it. Uh, Big year, uh, culturally, obviously, like tons of creative innovation in film, music, et cetera, et cetera. Um, great year to be born. I'm a big fan of it. We don't know his exact time of birth, which I actually think is kind of a shame for this episode specifically, just given how thematically and aesthetically consistent he is. Uh, like we said, squid in the is like extending into marriage story thematically. Um, yeah. So it would have been interesting to see how and where his houses line up. What we do know is that he was born with his son in Virgo. Uh, I think the first Virgo we've talked about, uh, with Pluto in the same sign. And his moon is in Gemini. Baumbach has... Oh. Abbey
0: Rhodes released.
1: Oh. <laughs> oh, there you go. I
0: knew it. I knew something <laughs> happened.
1: And That's a John liggy. announced
0: he quit the band.
1: In September. Interesting. That is a big year. I think his birthday's in September too, John's. Anyway. Yeah, there was a big like Jupiter, Uranus, Pluto, Stellium that year. So just very big for just crazy, innovative creative endeavors. That was a cool
0: turn of phrase, innovative.
1: Innovative. Can I have some privacy? <laughs> okay, I'm going to continue. That's what
0: John asked from
1: Though <laughs> So Baumbach has a stellium of planets in Libra, which I love, uh, namely Mercury, Jupiter, and Uranus. Uh, as Libra is ruled by Venus, which is the planet of love, beauty, art, aesthetics, etc., Mercury and Venus can speak to Baumbach's career as a storyteller in the creative realm of film, film itself being a very... Communicative to medium. Just trying to line that up. Um, what do you mean? The word <laughs> innovative itself? with communicative? Gosh. As well as the Abbey Road
0: was released. Abbey Road.
1: So, film as that medium, uh, as well as the theme of intellectual affinity in his films. Jupiter here can speak to back success in collaborative and creative partnerships, like his with Greta Gerwig specifically. To exemplify Uranus in Libra, I want to grab a quote cited by filmmaker Fernando uh, Andres. He once said in an interview that he grew up idolizing the films of the French New Wave, but seek to do something different. Their revolution was through technique, he said. My revolution is through emotion. Baumbach's Venus, on the other hand, is in Leo and is heavily aspected, highlighting the pervasive motifs of familial love and relationships throughout his work. Mars and Sagittarius exemplifies the reoccurring themes of intellectualism, academia, and cultural superiority presented through the appreciation of the arts. Also, notice the lack of emotional intelligence in that list. The exemplification of this placement, so Mars and Sagittarius in Baumbach's film, uh, films plural, namely through the male characters, definitely takes on Mars's bullish intensity. Lastly, Saturn is retrograde in Taurus, Neptune is in Scorpio. Uh, The nodes are in Pisces and Virgo, and Chiron is in Aries. As in the squid and the whale, uh, Baumbach's inner planets, with the exception of his sun, are dominated by male energy. The mutable mode is the most common with a good spread of air, earth, and fire signs. So it's interesting to note that the only planet falling within a water sign is Neptune and Scorpio. Uh, Recall that earlier note, which Jeremy lovingly put into the script, about the lack of emotional intelligence, which we'll touch on a bit later, so few water placements certainly gives Baumbach's Films a quite objective and grounded perspective. We'll also chat about a way that this lack of water in the context of those themes of intellectualism and academia mentioned prior plays out in both films we're talking about today. But I'll save that for Jeremy.
0: Right, and maybe not um, maybe not objective, but sort of naturalistic, sort of Absolutely. resembles yeah, yeah. something that you can uh, relate to. You feel like it's a lived-in experience, and Absolutely. that you experience something like it. Uh, Anyway. Love it. Relatable.
1: It's no surprise that Venus is such a focal point with this chart. So Noah's two major divorce movies present characters struggling through growing pains or facing uh, an uncertain future, juxtaposing the parents' transformative situations with those of their children. So where Bernard and Jones' tense separation in The Squid and the Whale causes Frank, the younger son uh, in the family, to act out in unpredictable ways through, like, taking up, drinking, and smoking, and he's like he seems like he's nine years old, um, or how Walt, the older brother in the relationship, models his problematic perception and treatment of women after his father as he navigates new adolescent relationships. With the nodes in Pisces and Virgo, Pisces as the more forward-looking node might signify that drive for transformation and change, while the node in Virgo is more like fearful. I don't really want to use that word, but I guess wishing to remain tethered to the earth as it is an earth sign uh, and what it already knows. Virgo and Pisces are both mutable signs, so not completely... Apprehensive? Yeah, apprehensive. (laughs) (laughs) So as they're both mutable signs, they're not completely stubborn and stuck in their ways, but with Virgo as an earth sign, that placement is much more likely to act within a framework that it already knows. Further, we have recurrent motifs of connection and disconnection. Maquismo, a word I learned from Jeremy this week. Why are you gonna call Thank me out? Thank you very much. Because you're expanding my vocabulary and I appreciate it. Um, and patriarchal, patriarchal competition. All these big words I can't process. You're the smart one.
0: The sun's in your eyes. Don't that worry is
1: about
0: it. All- <laughs> you can't read it.
1: But all of those themes ultimately get turned on their head. So uh yeah. So while the topics of love and loss, connection and disconnection, future and past, etc are certainly quite immediate and important in the two films we're looking at today. I want to focus primarily on how one sense of identity can be written and rewritten both within and beyond the context of the relationship. So how one sense of self and livelihood becomes so inextricably linked and then diminished by and with another person. In The Squid and the Whale, Bernard, played by Jeff Daniels, who wore Noah Baumbach's Papa's coat
0: in the movie. Jonathan Baumbach.
1: Jonathan Baumbach is uh, an arrogant and totally self-involved teacher and author who throws around the word philistine, (laughs) yet hasn't been able to find a publisher for his latest work in years. He's riding on the intellectual high of his glory years. Uh, On the other hand, Joan, played by Laura Linney, strikes her first book deal during the film's first act, after the separation, and after years living in Bernard's pompous shadow. Walt, played by Jesse Eisenberg, uh, little baby boy. Nervier nice than ever. Him. Somehow
0: even more of an open nerve than he is in every single other performance. Just yeah.
1: It's the hair. Channels it. The hair makes him look like he's got a tooth. Hey, you.
0: Yeah, <laughs> I know. A lot of Incredible. <laughs> I don't know if I'd use incredible. Incredible. Apprehensive?
1: Apprehensive. All right. Uh, Walt. Uh, so, again, if you didn't catch that, played by Jesse Eisenberg as a little baby. Uh, blindly worships his father and sees no fault with him initially, and he blames his mother for leaving Bernard, citing easy bait like Bernard's current lack of relevancy and success in his career. Bernard also clearly feels some sort of envy and insecurity about Joan's successes. For example, before the separation, he attempts to silence Joan's individual voice by telling her how to rewrite the end of her unfinished debut work, the very same uh, work that lands a publishing deal almost immediately with Knox. Is, is it nop? Nop?
0: Not probably. I feel, the way you're saying it, the F is somehow removed. From <laughs> nop. The nop. Nop.
1: I'm not getting a book deal with nop. <laughs> how,
0: is it, how is it 10 yards away from the P? <laughs> nop. <Nop-a-fa.
1: laughs> oh, goodness gracious. So he's like standing behind her saying... Does the guy die at the end or something like that? Yeah I they're all the to do that Well
0: it's like a phone call, there's a phone call or something or, yeah I don't know, something like
1: that. Oh, did
0: you take my advice? Did you take my advice? And I listen he goes does she die does he die at the end? He goes, no, well, you didn't listen then
1: I think he does die at the end. Anyway.
0: Oh, you're, yeah, you might but be. Yes yes, 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 yes,
1: yes. But attitude all in there saying, I'm the writer. Anyway.
0: Love new words. Here. It's
1: implied that Joan has never felt seen nor heard as a creator, an artist since the beginning of her 17-year relationship with Bernard. Very long. Uh, Bernard feels that <laughs> Joan's successes are diminishing his own voice and that he's losing something that he once held a lot of power over. So he's a little insecure baby. Similarly. <laughs> no
0: patience for Bernard. <laughs>
1: Like be happy for your wife. Yeah, I don't, obviously. I know. Like He's you've a shit. published a book. Anyway, a so similarly, the children suffer these crises of identity due to the crumbling family structure. Most clearly telegraphed throughout the film is Walt's turn from Bernard. So the idolization of his father to the eventual realization that his actions, unknowingly problematic and self-destructive, are mimed from Bernard. First, coming to light during the therapy session and later revisited with the titular characters at the Museum of Natural History, which I would love to go to, but I don't it's remember. Good and well. Good and well. Go. let uh, Wolf reaches the epiphany. Thank you. That'd be fun. Uh, that his fondest memories as a child were with his mother, not his father, who was seemingly off like somewhere else he can't remember, but probably tied forever to his work in ego. Mm-hmm. Moving to Marriage Story. Funny anecdote. I've called this movie Scenes. No, I've called Scenes from a Marriage Marriage Story. We were
0: watching HBO's Scenes from a Marriage with Oscar Isaac and Jessica Chastain. With noted on the Instagram page post Pisces, Oscar Isaac. Oh, Chopsticks and I'm Cheetos. Delicious. <laughs> what did you just say? <laughs> Macismo.
1: Machismo.
0: Um Machitos. And you just kept saying
1: Want to watch Marriage Story tonight? Yeah. And it's cute because tell me there's a like a little framed thing in Nicole's house in marriage story of oh. it's like a an article a New York on Times, Nicole and Charlie. And it says scenes. scenes from, from a marriage. marriage. So right on the nose there. Because
0: you're calling it marriage story. And yeah. What else are you gonna reference?
1: Good point. But in marriage story, the gender roles play out in a very similar way as in The Squid and the Whale. If only I could play the scene of Nicole's first meeting with Nora Fanshawe, played by Laura Dern, who I adore. Jeremy's. Lukewarm, but warming up.
0: We're g- yeah,
1: Because it's an incredible scene. Scarjo is obviously phenomenal. Scarjo. Watercraft.
0: We call yeah. her Scarjo?
1: We abbreviate. <laughs> <laughs> Nicole's monologue in this scene so clearly refines and manifests this concept of one's sense of identity becoming so entangled and ultimately lost within the context of a long romantic relationship turned into a marriage. A very, very similar sense of intellectual authority is at play here. Um, so Nicole first met Charlie when he was a very promising up and coming young director in New York. Nicole, on the other hand, was a successful teen actress who like flashed the camera. But <laughs> Nicole starred yeah. and gained success in numerous plays under the in, helm like, of a Charlie teen comedy,
0: teen sex comedy. Or for sure. There. And
1: and that kind of um, tainted her image as a serious actress, let's say. Sure. And And I think Charlie always judged her for that. Through the relationship, though Nicole starred and gained success in numerous plays under the helm of Charlie, it's ultimately been Charlie that's regarded as the genius. It's his vision and his work receiving all the acclaim. Uh, Nicole's work is seen as inherently less or rather non-existent without Charlie. Unlike Joan, though, Nicole has consistently broached the subject of creative independence and artistic authorship prior to the film's given timeline. Nicole has asked to try her hand at directing, to visit and work in Los Angeles, but given the power dynamic of the relationship, again, we see the mother's voice silenced in favor of the father's wants and desires. Nicole's offer to star in a television pilot in Los Angeles is first met by judgment, then passive support. Like, think, if you're happy, I'm happy, which right. is, you know, ultimately an underhanded jab at like mm.
0: the best and worst thing you could say.
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Once the women have children, it's as if the men don't see them as completely whole individuals anymore, Uh, only a mother or so it's implied. Uh, Meanwhile, the men continue to pursue and be solely preoccupied by their work. They're the kind of absent fathers, Uh, exemplifying a real Mars square Pluto energy as is present in Boundback's chart, where a sense of power becomes really important.
0: Yeah. Charlie's maybe not an absent father, but he's, Nicole in the opening montage says that really gets lost in his work, like Henry. So it's an admirable trait. It's not like it's Bernard. It's not a one-to-one with Bernard. For sure. But the Um, reason he
1: can't imagine relocating to Los Angeles for his son, who likes it better, who's making friends for Nicole, is because of his work.
0: Yeah. So not an absent father, but sort of like this um, aloof. Absolutely. If if there's absenteeism on the side of uh, Bernard, it's sort of an aloofness uh, to, to, to Charlie. Totally. Yeah.
1: For Joan in Squid and the Whale, her act of rebellion, besides her book, is being with Ivan, which... Uh, Billy Baldwin. Billy Baldwin. Brother. <laughs> Was just his birthday the other day. Brother. Um, in a sense, that's her act of rebellion. Brother. Since he's brother. Since he's essentially the very Philistine that Bernard so passionately judges and disregards as a lesser human. As a
0: lesser brother.
1: As a lesser brother. For Nicole, that's taking back her home and demanding to stay with her family in L.A. and subsequently gaining her own attention and acclaim with an Emmy nomination for her directing work, not her acting work. Big surprise. It's
0: Well, and that's it. So Joan and Nicole, respectively, gain more immediate success or Mm -hmm. sort of more mainstream success. Totally. Uh, Joan, much more so uh, because, you know. Charlie's doing well in his career. Absolutely. He's gotten the MacArthur grant. He's going to Broadway. So but he's about to go. the show
1: got cut from Broadway. You know what I mean? Because so it's he like couldn't the
0: thi- be there, basically. Yeah. That's the thing. Because sure. they had to like, he had to can it because he was spending all this time in LA. Totally. And I think that's the thing, um, that they both are just as good, if not better,
1: totally. at what the men are doing. So, so Nicole and Joan are reclaiming what the male counterparts have stripped from them in order to establish patriarchal power dynamic for the men on the other hand both bernard and more acutely charlie experience a skewed sense of self in relation to fatherhood and their role as a parent the children start taking sides due to the to the father's preoccupation with work academia and so on moving to the astrology of why this is all important astrologically there are a few placements that support this notion of identity being linked to and damaged by romantic relationships i do want to preface again we're not saying that Noah uh, Baumbach has experienced any of this in his life. We're just like loosely and cre- creatively tying it to the themes in his work because he is a writer as well. So it makes sense that a lot of that placement, yeah, is, says those placements are, personal, are channeled so into it. his work. In astrology, uh, the sun is often tied with ideas of the father. In Baumbach's chart, the sun in Virgo is making a trine to Saturn in Taurus, signifying strictness and discipline, specifically with Saturn in a fixed sign, uh, as well as hard work through Virgo leading to fulfillment. In Taurus, this could be material fulfillment or a more spiritual fullness. For Bernard and Charlie, that's pure dedication to their work resulting in academic praise and critical accolades, grants, etc. Saturn is making a superior square to Venus in Leo as well, uh, inhibiting Venus, especially given that Venus is the ruler of Taurus, where Saturn resides. It's easy to look at a chart and you can see how it all plays out. But herein, uh, relationships might become a source of difficulty, frustration, and conflict. With Saturn in Taurus, an Earth sign that's closely connected to the body and self being the second sign in the zodiac wheel, along with material things, a sense of security, and worth connected to things is thrown into disorder. Taurus and Leo are both fixed signs, Taurus ruled by the bull and Leo by the lion, so a certain stubbornness and proudness can also contribute to this relationship dysfunction. Venus uh, is also making a square to Neptune, indicating possible disillusionment in the realm of partnerships or marriage. Specifically, because Leo is involved, there's that sense of pride again. Scorpio, on the other hand, hosting Neptune might indicate something related to power dynamics or power struggles, unearthing deeply rooted thoughts and resentments. Whereas Neptune fosters feelings of disillusionment and detachment, even gaslighting. Charlie makes Nicole feel crazy for wanting to live in LA to be closer to her family, and even making her believe that conversations about them traveling more often never took place. I think you can consider that a bit of gaslighting, uh, making Nicole believe that something she thinks is untrue. The sentiment I've been ready to leave for a long time works well with this placement. One more placement to note before I wrap up, the planets in Libra are also opposite Chiron and Aries. Chiron represents our traumas and wounds. Uh, If you want a deeper look at Chiron, listen to our Barry Jenkins episode. We talk about it at length. In Aries, this placement exemplifies something that is closely related to the sense of self. Aries is the first sign in the Zodiac Wheel representing the head, face, brain, and eyes. In modern astrology, Aries is often also associated with the first house of self, so the soul and the body. With this placement, wounds stem from a damaged sense of self, lack of confidence or sense of purpose, and feelings of worthlessness, so very much lining up with the um, discussion we've, uh, we've been having. In Baumbach's chart opposite to Chiron is Mercury, Jupiter, and Uranus and Venus, signifying a lot of those artistic, intellectual and creative career drivers we mentioned earlier of Bernard's and Charlie's. With Mercury, breakdowns in communication lead Nicole to feel unseen by Charlie. With Jupiter and Uranus, one's successes and artistic breakthroughs are not celebrated by the other partner, but rather leads them to feel a diminished sense of worth and self. Libra is ruled by Venus, the planet of love after all, so here, love is inextricably bound with these wounds. Unseen.
0: Okay, moving on to the uh, film parts. Um, this was exciting because I read through uh, your part of the script, and um, I noticed something that I could really latch onto and so uh, for this one, you know re- sometimes the films inform the astrology and the astrology uh, sometimes informs like my discussion and everything, but really here we we linked up quite well um which was great. So I'm going to be quoting you at some point in, in my script. Um, and, uh, and I think they're really kind of tied to one another. So throughout both the Squid and the Whale and Marriage Story, the central patriarchs, Bernard and Charlie, respectively grow increasingly defensive and desperate when their small world of big culture is shattered by their female partner's desires of an independent career. Joan seeks to write herself out from the shadow of Bernard's long past expired success as a New York literary provocateur. Unlike Bernard, she lands a publishing deal almost immediately upon completing her debut novel, embraced by the society that's essentially forgotten her soon-to-be ex-husband. In her own words and without his condescending opinions, Joan pointedly finds her voice in a creative realm once dominated by Bernard's overbearing intellectual megalomania. A word I was reminded by, by you. Thank you very much. How about that? Megalomania.
1: Isn't that an album? No, never mind.
0: I don't know. All good. Nicole's trajectory is far more complex, but presented rather clearly. Prior to the film's events, repeated hypothetical discussions between Nicole and Charlie found the former relegated to Charlie's muse, as we discussed uh, prior, and uh, while the latter comfortably comfortably stayed in his lane with his family in the back seat, unlike the parents in Whale, Nicole and Charlie are both surely seen in their careers but only at first. After an indeterminate amount of time, let's say 10 years or something, Charlie seems to become the marquee name over Nicole, a point of contention torn to shreds by Ray Liotta and Laura Dern's monster lawyers during the courtroom scene as they represent uh, Charlie and Nicole respectively. Before the separation, the trio, Nicole, Charlie, and Henry, their kid which we haven't talked uh, really about. I have
1: a name drop. Um no.
0: Because uh, Frank and Walt play a bit more of a central role. It's probably Walt's story. Ends on Walt in Squid and the Whale, Jesse Eisenberg. Uh, and this kid, lovely, yeah, plays sort of more of a background role. It's definitely Charlie's story in this one. Um, so the three of them remain a New York family with occasional detours to satiate Charlie's desires as an artist. Thus, the film begins in media res, Nicole migrating to Los Angeles with Henry in tow, consequently destabilizing Charlie's tunneled worldview. Charlie admits halfway through the divorce proceedings, he never considered anything different from what they had in New York, which for him was everything he could ever want, and by extension, what he thought the family could ever want. Herein lies the film's core. How did two separate from a coupling so inherently molded to one another through time, experience, child-rearing, career goals as well? You know, how did two become one again together and apart? For Charlie, his goals were the family's goals and vice versa for nicole she admits to never developing her own taste and one can rightly assume her own career goals you know uh, she figured bearing a child could be her own thing but in her words uh in in sharing um a lot during the first meeting with nora's uh, nora fanshaw Laura Dern, um she says kids belong to themselves it's like the instant they leave your body it's just the process of them going away if Henry could belong to himself almost naturally, Nicole then too sought to belong to herself to, in a way, deprogram herself from Charlie's outdated relationship code, um, some kind of corrupted binary. With all the significant moves made by their female counterparts, what are the lonely fathers left with once the separation crystallizes? Well, I want to highlight a passage from renowned astrologer Michelle Balderston, here to guide <laughs> us into my main idea. Did you read that part yet or no? No. <laughs> I want Kendrick. to highlight a passage from renowned astrologer Michelle Balderson here to guide us into... I thought you had read it, and so I was like, no. there goes it, because I didn't want to send you it earlier.
1: I'm working on it. Thank you, though.
0: <laughs> I'm going to spill the water again. Appreciate the accolades. Um, and uh, this quote is here to guide us into my main idea concerning Bernard and Charlie's uh, journey through their divorces um, in, in both movies. Uh, with Saturn and Taurus, an Earth sign that is closely connected to the body and self being the second sign in the zodiac wheel... Along with material things, a sense of security and worth connected to things, right, those material things, is thrown into disorder. Taurus and Leo are both fixed signs. Um, Taurus ruled by the bull and Leo by the lion. Certain stubbornness and proudness, one can say pride, uh, can also contribute to this relationship dysfunction. Thank you, Michelle, for that juicy gold nug, um, as it really helped me crack these (laughs) boundbacks and the straw. Broke ah. the camel's bound back. That's my last.
1: <laughs> That's all in the stars. <laughs> back. That was good.
0: That's all in the stars. What? The
1: squid and the camel.
0: And <laughs> what's a subtle, stunning reversal of depictions and characterizations of gender roles. As you said, they sort of play out in the same way throughout the movies. Mm-hmm. Um, I think this is where there's a real keen intellect into how, yeah, men are probably, you know, very fittingly like it's it's interesting to see that the men aren't the ones leaving. The men's are the ones that are being relocated throughout these movies. The women are leaving, right? They're under the influence. And it's because they're not necessarily abusive fathers. This isn't a, this isn't, these aren't tales of abuse necessarily. They're tales of neglect, let's say. Mm -hmm. Um, And again, that aloofness, the absentism. Mm -hmm. So that they're having to be relocated. Um, So, um, you know, sort of a main point is that Baumbach writes the partner, uh, writes the partners, Baumbach writes the fathers as utterly lost without the anchor of their known domestic spaces and material belongings. What you think might belong to the female, as is the domestic space, mm-hmm. very um, stereotypically.
1: Yeah, Saturn uh, kind of, and fixed doors, baby.
0: Very <laughs> say that like it's a thing. <laughs> uh, in short, the central male figures are inextricably tied, as, as you had said, to certain material possessions, which symbolize the very stubbornness and pride that largely contributes to their respective families' demise. A grand relocation, as I've said, occurs in Whale and Marriage story for both men. Bernard moves across the park, which humorously move, uh, seems a world away for himself. Just a and couple the subway stops. Yeah, and then he keeps saying it. it's maybe four blocks, five blocks, six, six seven blocks. Yeah, <laughs> so, right? It's a good scene, and and that's it. It's so their world is so so small in like you know West Side New York or wherever the hell they are, right? Across the park, one can assume Central Park or something. Maybe not. Maybe not. I don't know. I wish I knew New York better. I wish I knew New York better. But um, he moves across the park. It's not too bad. Charlie, on the other hand, is left with a cosmic domestic disruption with Nicole and Henry living a six-hour plane ride away with their adopted home of uh, New York, like kind of, you know, left in the rear view. Um, First, in Whale, Bernard's housekeeping is in total shambles. The usual divorced dad gags reside here in abundance. Awful burnt cooking, incompetent cleaning, and a depressing cluelessness for decorating. Cue the eye-gouging, the mother and the whore poster almost floating like a specter in Walt's bedroom. More than a winking title reference, you know, the mother and the whore, the squid and the whale, right? The I squid. Get it. Mm-hmm. Right, the squid I could definitely see, you know, the squid, the lithe squid, as I said, is narrowly escaping the all-consuming maw of the whale. And I would say that the father is much more the whore. Even though that's something again, certainly yeah. you could throw onto, you know, uh Joan because of her extramarital affairs. And it seemed that as as far as Bernard says, he didn't have any. We're not believing that. One bit. Four
1: marriages. He's like, I, I never slept with any it.
0: I've never slept with a student. And then obviously he has the of
1: he does.
0: horrible sort of um situation with Anna Paquin. Can't remember her name, but Lily. Really?
1: Lily. Yeah. Beep boop.
0: So this poster, this material object screams cultural superiority and capital F film appreciation, qualities that are donned proudly by Bernard. Um, Something like this might blend into well-stocked bookcases, sophisticated household flora, and bespoke furniture, like the the home that he used to live in, like their actual home before. Um, But in Bernard's shabby rundown house, definitively not a home, the poster acts as a sad, shallow beacon of Bernard's waning stature in cultural affairs and his autocratic influence over the impressionable Walt. An early scene depicts this domineering quality within the power struggle between Bernard and Joan over Walt and Frank, as Joan encourages Walt to form his own opinions, separate from his father's dismissal of A Tale of Two Cities as Minor Dickens. To counterpoint, Bernard's absence of design, a more accurately simple care for and understanding of his children, provokes another poster debacle as Walt, with Walt's brother, Frank. In his new bedroom, Frank scoffs at an Ilya Nastasi poster, I don't know if I'm pronouncing that correctly. A tennis player from the '80s. Uh, as Bernard gets defensive, I couldn't find Vitas Giroletis, another uh, tennis player from the '80s. And uh, tennis plays like such a central thing uh, to the family dynamics, the opening scene. Brother. I think uh, <laughs> And Ivan's um, Willie? Franks.: <laughs> Oh, it's so Billy good. Baldwin.: <laughs> Billy Baldwin brother brother and he's instinctively i had it somewhere in the scripting i got rid of it but i wrote before he's instinctively a better father
1: hundred percent
0: because of his just down to earth not pompous nature he just connects with frank that much more and frank uh defiantly is just like i think i am a philistine i kind of like being one like i don't really care Totally, i want to be a tennis player and walt and and not waltz but bernard keeps Wondering, don't you want to be like an artist and a writer and we're bringing you up this way? He's like, and you don't want to be that. Don't you want to be a mini me, basically, yeah. which is what, you know, Walt's being brought up to be. So um, he has this other tennis player that he likes at home. So in this cutting rebuttal, Frank reminds Bernard that he has that poster at home only to correct himself to shield his father's clear insecurity. He says, I have it at mom's. Uh, in the same scene, Bernard persists with failed attempts at filling his house with material belongings for Frank trying to make his new house a new home for Frank, effectively, right? Bernard presents turtles and a left-handed desk, only for Frank to correct him both times, highlighting Bernard's ignorance concerning Frank's natural dominant hand, as he's right-handed, so he can't really use, it's useless. Uh, Here, material possessions, like the posters, are both displaced and replaced from their natural environments to despairing results. The otherwise empty walls kept bare by Bernard's absent fathering after the separation. Near the film's end, Bernard's attempt to stifle his son's sincere emotions acts as the catalyst for Walt to effectively break from his father's self-destructive influence. Bernard's final fatal blow, he offers to get him some more posters, so more more poster talk, which was insane putting it Mm -hmm. together, uh, and to lend him, and this is the real gut punch, to lend him him his first edition of The Naked and the Dead, a temporary loan as a present, quote-unquote, as a present. Here again are the misguided, shallow gestures of fatherly care and compassion filtered through the acquisition of, and some not even, you know, a permanent placement, material possessions belonging to Bernard's deceptive stubbornness and pride. Like Nicole's career trajectory, the connection between Charlie's pride and possessions is more subtly depicted and more so aligns with the dysfunction caused by the divorce. The clearest example is Charlie routinely waiving any claim to ownership um, of things shared with nicole in their apartment passive statements like you can take whatever you want i don't need any of this imply a mental fortitude that certainly presents charlie uh, as more stable in comparison to bernard but one of charlie's most striking scenes uh, where adam driver has an impromptu and really well slightly uncomfortable performance of being alive from a uh, the musical company from stephen sondheim um Begins with the admission of Charlie. This is before he starts singing. He admits that um, he's sitting on the floor in his home because Nicole has taken the couch. Uh, uh, I I quote him here. The couch was technically hers pre-marriage, but I mean it was our couch. Left without his things, her things, their things, Charlie barely occupies the empty home now broken in two. And without those things that he... Originally said he didn't really care about Nicole's absence and Charlie's disorder is directly brought to the surface, directly brought to the forefront uh, or foreground, rather, in the shot of Charlie signing the divorce papers in front of an empty wall and an even emptier room back in the New York apartment. Unique to Charlie, and maybe the best sequence in the movie, is the knife thing. So, a knife attached to a keychain, which Charlie emphasizes Nicole bought for him, is used performatively and for play as an inside family joke. The joke being Charlie pretends to cut himself but retracts the blade before incision. However, when demonstrating it for the divorce worker that's uh, visited uh, Charlie and Henry during what's to be a normal night um, at home, which has obviously got to be the most awkward thing in the world, he fails to retract the blade and badly cuts himself, creating a brilliant bloody token of the scars left by divorce and a reminder that inside jokes don't usually work for anyone outside the initial circle. You know what I mean?
1: I know what you mean.
0: What's more, Charlie can't even admit to himself uh, during the scene uh, that is cut is as bad as it is until he's left alone. Keeps denying it. Even though he's bleeding through his something shirt. Something I would do. <laughs> it, yo, boy. Michelle like... fainted on a train once. I lost my mind. And I also did this. I, I was unbuttoning her to try to like, I was unbuttoning her coat. Because I, you know, to try to cool it <laughs> off. I don't off. like
1: this tangent. And
0: I turned to a guy and I was like, don't worry. Uh, I'm dating her or something. Because <laughs> I was like, I don't want to look like I'm just unbuttoning her. Mouth to mouth.
1: Better than me slicing my arm open. And then but. what happened?
0: Didn't they just give you a cookie and apple juice and a little band-aid and you're off? Yeah, you?
1: they sent me home.
0: <laughs> you we had to wait a while. This is on the Union Express in Toronto, Ontario, Canada.
1: Oh goodness. They had to get me checked out. Anyway, I was Charlie on the floor of the kitchen <laughs> saying I'm fine, I'm someone fine. take a nap. I'm, fine. Just, I'm just tired.
0: I'm fine. Being alive. Oh uh, yeah, yeah. Um and so this parallels Bernard um. When he has his health scare at the very end of the movie, um, as he wonders and asks Walt if he looked silly falling down after having a near heart attack, right? These small seams of their big ego starting to fray. Such pride in them that they don't want to look foolish. They want to look like everything's in control. Ultimately, both men flail about in their attempts at normalcy upon their newly minted bachelordom. Charlie and Bernard seek desperate help or not at decorating their new environment and as such fill it with things that attempt to replicate what they had before um, to maintain not just order and consistency, but more importantly, their pride. Um, Herein lies their stubbornness attached to and symbolized by deeply imbued material possessions as two men now stuck in a cycle of loneliness and self-imposed isolation, seeking what was firmly shared before, but now on their own. At least for Bernard, Charlie mostly smartens up, getting a proper Halloween with Henry, which is a nice sort of um, redemption for Absolutely. for him. You know, doesn't get to dress up in the costume originally, uh, dressed as a Ninja Turtle to be with his cousins, and then he just drives around and gets no candy with Henry the first Halloween, mm-hmm. and then a year later, they're all dressing up as Sergeant Pepper. Though Going he doesn't out get, th- though though fittingly doesn't have a, they don't have a costume. You could be George. There's Martin. only
1: four Beatles. <laughs>
0: Suggests Adam Driver, sorry Charlie can be George Martin, yeah, which says so much about the family dynamic right now that he can't be one of the Beatles.
1: No, he's not.
0: Um, but very lovingly gets his laces done up at the end while Bernard is left alone, um, with his breakfast for one because uh, Walt leaves and goes to see the squid in the whale. goes to goes to see his mama. Basically, why do, why am I talking like you with the mama stuff,
1: mama? <laughs> Well,
0: well, spilled all that water, and now we're back here.
1: Now we're back here. I think both movies are wonderful, easily accessible if you live in Canada and you have Netflix. Um, The
0: Squid and the Whale sometimes streams on Criterion. Sometimes, too. It is on Criterion. It was on Crave for a while as well. There you go.
1: So, So to Canada doing the rounds. The streaming is great here. Mm -hmm.
0: You know what I learned? Disney Plus, oh, that's what I was telling you. Disney Plus in the States doesn't have any mature content, so that's mm. why we have the lovely scroll of Encanto to Pam and Tommy, one next to the oh, one another interesting. because we get all the Hulu content through Disney plus, so we get our
1: we're lucky, aren't we? We get our all that Hulu content
0: we are so lucky here in the snow <laughs>
1: <laughs> as a and, uh, uh, and everything else but as a couple of shameless self promos, obviously we talked about Greta a little bit at the beginning. We have an episode on Greta so. Please feel free to listen to that. I think thematically they're very similar filmmakers. The
0: women finding feel- their voice,
1: yeah, exactly. Solidarity
0: there. Um, that's that's Greta's dealing uh, with topics big that are very grounded too.
1: Like you said, like stuff that's relatable, seeing on screen. Um, so I think they make a really good pair. As a really cute thing, their charts line up in a pretty cute way. So uh, Bounder's sun is in Virgo, and Gerwig's Venus is in Virgo. You, gotta, you should post that. And then on yeah, the other close. hand, um, Boundback's Venus is in Leo and her son is in Leo. So I hit the mic when I did that, which ruined it a little bit, but it it's flipped. So uh, sun conjunct uh, Venus, sun conjunct Venus in their chart. So they make a really great creative pair. And I think it's really it. cute. So um, anyways, watch our Greta post. A couple other things. Watch our
0: Greta post. Oh,
1: watch our Greta <laughs> Listen to our It was a while ago It was one of our first ones um, In a new
0: space In a new yeah. space
1: uh, Yeah We love both of them On a more podcast note We still have Instagram I don't remember our handle we, At Map and stars podcast We mapped have, have Map
0: and stars podcast We now we got um, TikTok Follow us yeah. on TikTok
1: Because the format for videos Is a lot more appealing to watch And pleasant to watch it than uploads it is on a on higher Instagram. quality Yeah So if you want to follow us there Do so Who are we talking about next time, Jeremy?
0: (laughs) That's a good question. I think it's Catherine Bigelow coming up, or it might be Kirsten Dunst.
1: Catherine Bigelow, Kirsten Dunst, and then who's after that? Todd
0: Haynes. Todd Haynes. Todd Haynes. Haynes. But we'll get there for now. Enjoy these two lovely, lovely Oscar-nominated, one Oscar-winning movie. Um, Laura Dern won for her Oscar.
1: Because she's fantastic.
0: And uh, and that's that. That's how we're going to wrap it up. Uh, Stay dry, everyone
1: watch blue velvet like walton oh bernard. <laughs> yeah such
0: a good note such a good note to uh, to end on probably the most awkward scene in the movie and there are so many awkward scenes involving humping of library bookshelves
1: blue. <laughs> what kind of beer do you like Heineken, Heineken? fuck that shit paps blue ribbon oh,
0: um yeah bernard thinks he should go see he invites Blue himself Velvet. to go see Blue Velvet
1: with Walton in is instead of going girlfriend. to see Short
0: Circuit. <laughs> Do you know what that is? No. Hold
1: on. <laughs> is that like a WALL-E thing?
0: It's a movie where a kid, you, well, no, it's a movie it's like ET but robots and it's a movie where a kid plays like S- Brown So Freeze. like
1: Wally. Wally's like an alien robot.
0: But like ET cuz it's kids it's not like an apocalypse.
1: Hmm, interesting. That definitely seems more family friendly. <laughs> Great. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That's <laughs> fine.
0: All right. We're zany. We got to wrap up. We're hangry. We got to dry off. We got to, still got to dry <laughs> off. You love that one.
1: Thanks for listening. This we has love been everyone. fun. We'll see you next time.
0: Yeah, energy's been off the charts.
1: Be mew, mew, And remember artwork, music. Oh, sure. Yeah.
0: I work by Sailor huh? around. <laughs> and we buy Django Anthony. Goodbye, <laughs> everyone.